This audio is brought to you by Muslim Central. Please consider donating to help cover our running costs and future projects by visiting www.muslimcentral.com forward slash donate. Tonight's speaker is known for her gift of captivating the entire audience with her thoughts and insightful reflections. She is a psychology graduate and obtained her master's in journalism and mass communication from the University of Wisconsin-Madison. As a skilled writer, her literature speaks from the heart and is felt by millions across the world. After completing her graduate work, she taught Islamic studies and served as a youth coordinator. Currently, she's a writer for Huffington Post, an international speaker, and an author who focuses most of her work on spiritual and personal development. She is well known for her book available worldwide, Reclaimed Your Heart, Personal Insights on Breaking Free from Life Shackles. Her ability to relate all intervals of life's to one's relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is remedy for those seeking comfort in the sunya. She, is the, she has the honor of being at Elvish Institute's first female instructor. I'd like to introduce Ustaza Yasmin Mugahid as she comes and talks about connecting with Allah. Please give me a Thank you for coming out. Alhamdulillah, the weather has like completely flipped. It's like record highs after record lows, right? Um, I'm I'm really passionate about this topic, and I'm really uh, happy to see so many young people here today because. Uh, this is the future, right? We we have when when you really want change, you have to change it at the root. And so, what I want to do today, in talking about our relationship with Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala, I want to begin by discussing some issues that I think, or or some methods that I think that we're getting wrong, and then I want to talk about how to fix it. So, uh, to start out with, I think there are some some very very vital, very crucial, and very devastating uh, mistakes that we're making in the way in which we're actually teaching Islam, in the way that parents and teachers are training their students or their children and their students. And that is this. I think for a long time, somewhere along the line, we have sort of turned Islam into just a list of haram and halal. Okay, so Islam has been sort of all the beauty of what Islam is has sort of been uh, minimized to just being a list, you know, um, maybe like think of a list that you put on your fridge, right? Uh, it's haram to do this, and it's halal to do this, and it's haram to dress like this, and it's halal to dress like this, and it's haram to eat like this, and it's halal to eat like this. Now, all of those things, these are, these are the rules, the ahkam of Islam. Are they important? Yes, yes. Okay, you got 100 on that pop quiz. They are important. They are necessary. But I'm talking about something deeper here. I'm talking about the fact that Islam has been reduced to only haram and hadad. Now, the problem with doing that is that here's what happens. So kids growing up, a lot of times when they're taught about Islam, uh, before they're even they reach the age of like four, they already know the, basically like two words. 
about about the deen, if they're being taught. One is haram, and the other is hellfire or jahannam. So there's this methodology of teaching through fear. You guys feel me? Anyone feel me? Anyone? Okay. There's a methodology of teaching children through fear. Now, I'm not talking about taqwa. Taqwa is, is something a little bit different than what I'm talking about. I'm talking about fear like you fear a bully, or like you fear the police, or like you fear someone who's just going to hurt you, okay? And the problem with teaching your children that way, or teaching students that way, is that imagine for a moment that a child, their entire life, is told, you know what, you better watch yourself, because if you do this, the police is going to get you. If you do that, the police is going to get you and throw you in jail. If you do this, the police is going to... As that child grows, now you might be warning them for their own good, right? But let me ask you a question. What happens to that child's relationship with the police? What happens to that child's perception of the police? How does that child feel about the police? Does that child want to have a really close relationship with the police? No, right? What is that child going to feel about the police? That child is basically going to want to avoid the police. Is this sounding familiar? And so what happens is, is that when we teach our children the deen in this way, where it's all about punishment and wrath and haram, it leads youth as they grow up to just not want to have anything to do with religion. Let me just stay away from religion completely because no matter what I do, I'm going to go to hell. Weird kinds of thinking like that. It starts to actually create a sense of unhealthy fear, which is different than taqwa. Unhealthy fear that leads to despair and hopelessness. Does that make sense? All right, not if you understand. That It's not the healthy kind of fear that makes you do better. It's not the healthy kind of taqwa. It's the unhealthy kind of fear that makes you say, you know what, let me just stay away from religion completely. Let me just stay away from Allah completely. Because no matter what I do, I'm going to do something wrong and I'm going to go to hell. It's this fear that isn't healthy. It's actually demoralizing and um, paralyzing. It makes a person fall into despair. Now, one thing we have to understand is this is not the way that the Prophet ﷺ taught people about Islam. When you study the seerah of the Prophet ﷺ, when you study how the Qur'an came down, there's a very, very profound hadith in which, um, in which we're told that if the first verses to be revealed were about do not commit zina, for example, or do not drink alcohol, then people would have said, we will never give up zina and we will never give up alcohol. This is profound. If the first verses were like this, people would have rejected it. They would say, no, we're not going to leave these things. They were so entrenched in these behaviors, they wouldn't have left it. Why? Because you're starting with rules. You can't start with rules. Because if you start with the rules, people will just reject them. So the hadith goes on to say that the first verses to be revealed weren't about rules. They weren't about give up alcohol or give up zina. The first verses that were revealed, and if you study the Qur'an, you study the first verses, of, especially the verses that were revealed in Mecca, you find that they were verses about our relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, about, about the day of judgment, 
about these 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 concepts that create an attachment to Allah. They weren't talking about rules at the beginning. They were talking about loving Allah, about about not wanting to displease Allah, about the concepts of of right and wrong, about about the fact that there is that there is ultimate retribution that that we're going to be asked when we leave this life, that this life is not the end. So you understand, it was it was building these concepts first. See, if you look at, like if you look at a tree, right? For a tree to be firm, what does it have to have? Roots, and not just roots, but firm, deep roots. Roots that go down and roots that go out wide. So for, for a tree to be firm, see, if a tree isn't firm, what happens when a wind blows? It knocks it out, right? It knocks it down. It, it can even a strong wind can even pull a tree out out from the from the from the roots. But the deeper the roots, the harder it is to knock down the tree, right? And this is what happens with with a, with a believer. The believer has to have firm roots first in order to be able to handle the the trials that come. What are these trials? Well, there's a lot of trials. There's a lot of pressure. Not just peer pressure, but just all around us. There's a lot of trials. There's a lot of um, deception. And in order for us to be able to keep ourselves on the straight path, we're going to have to have firm roots. Now, what builds the firm roots? What what makes roots firm? It is in the love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's in the attachment to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Taqwa, the healthy kind of fear. Now let me talk for a moment about, I just talked to you about unhealthy fear. What is healthy fear? Well, let me ask you guys a question, right? Um, think about the person in your life that you love most. Just bring to mind your mom. No, I'm just kidding. Think about the person in your life that you love the most. All right, everyone have someone in their head? Y'all don't love anyone? Yes, okay. I like interactive audiences, so just use your head. Say yeah, say no, that's fine. Okay. Now think for a moment about what would happen if that person that you love the most is angry with you. Or that person that you love the most wants to cut you off. Doesn't ever want to see you again. Doesn't ever want to speak to you again. Says, you know what, I have nothing to do with you. How does that feel? Right? Immediately, people like have a reaction, a visceral reaction to that. It, it brings about what? What emotion? Just throw it out. Sadness. 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 Pain. What else? Anger. Anger. Okay. What else? Desperation. Desperation. What else? Regret. Regret. Okay. What, are, what do you feel when you think about losing the person you love most? You feel afraid. You feel fear. That that makes us feel a deep sense of fear. Oh my God. Now, did I say to you that that person was going to abuse you? Or that person was going to slap you? That person was going to, you know, put you in the hospital? No. All I said was they would be displeased with you. You guys understand what I'm saying? And so this is the essence of taqwa, isn't it? If you love Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you fear displeasing him. If you love Allah subhanahu wa you fear being disconnected from Him. And in fact, that's what scholars say, is that the worst punishment of the hellfire 
even more than the physical burning and the boiling water and all these these terrible you know experiences that that are described the worst punishment of hellfire is being disconnected from Allah subhanahu it's the fact that the people in hellfire they don't get to see Allah they don't get to speak to Allah there is a hijab as Allah tells us or a veil put between them and Allah. They are disconnected from Him. And even as far as Allah says that today you will be forgotten. Can you imagine your own mother saying that to you? Saying, you're forgotten. Today you're forgotten. I'm, I disowned you. I don't remember you. That is, it's a very deep fear that that would bring about. Now imagine it's not your mother but the Lord of the universe, Allah, saying that. That, in fact, scholars say, is the great, is the worst punishment of hellfire. Now, that fear comes about from what? What was the root of it? Love. It was love and attachment. But let me ask you this question. What if it's a complete stranger, someone you don't care about, someone you don't even know, comes and says, I never want to talk to you again. Like, literally, a complete stranger comes up to you in the mall and says, by the way... I never want to talk to you again. Anyone? Who cares? Who cares, right? You don't have any reaction to that because you have no relationship with this person. You don't care about, about displeasing a complete stranger, right? So this is the essence, really. The essence, the root of our relationship with Allah needs to be having a relation, having an attachment. So, what happened when the Prophet brought Islam? It began with building a solid foundation in the attachment to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then, after the companions had built a solid bond with Allah, then these rules came. And, and many of these rules came later on in Medina. So if you look at the Qur'an and you study the Qur'an, you find that most of the ahkam, the rules, you know, the, the harams and the halals, the do's and the don'ts, they were medani, meaning that they came down in Medina. They were not at the beginning of the, of the message, they were in the second part, in the, in the medani portion. So this is something that I think we're doing drastically wrong, is that we are beginning, we are teaching from the beginning, we're, we, we don't have a foundation in the bond and the love of, uh, the love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And instead, we're only teaching rules. We're teaching haram and halal. And then, and then we're using Allah, which is like, I think, it's just the most terrible thing to do to your kid, is that you're using Allah to try to control your kid. So how do you do that? Because <laughs> like, you want your kid to do something, right? So what do you do? Or you want them to stop doing something. If you don't, and I'm talking like kid meaning like four-year-old, five, I'm not talking about like an adult kid, like a little kid. If you don't stop doing this, Allah's going to punish you. Okay, that's really great because what you've done now, if you've made Allah the bad guy, like, do you understand what I'm saying? So what you've put in this child's head is that Allah is just about punishment. Allah is just about punishment. So now this child grows up with an unhealthy avoidance out of unhealthy fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And it's no wonder that youth grow up and they're just like, just avoid it altogether. And it's because of that imbalance. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about himself, 
What does he say about himself? Allah, when he speaks about himself, he says, my mercy supersedes my wrath. Allah says that. My mercy, in a hadith khuti, he says, my, mer- my mercy supersedes my wrath. So Allah's mercy is greater than his punishment. But we teach the other way around. We teach the other way around. And it is, it is extremely harmful to the, to the iman of, of, of these children and of these people that we're teaching. And not just children, but when someone comes, comes into the fold of Islam, a convert or a revert, what's the first stuff we teach? Okay, now you gotta change your name and stop celebrating Valentine's Day. Like, that's number one. Right? Like, okay, that's the first thing you're taught. But that's not the way to go about it. The first thing needs to be about building the bond with Allah. And it is no, it is no surprise that people end up straying, that people don't, aren't able to stay on the straight path. Because if you don't have those firm roots, the first strong wind, and it just knocks you down. Do you understand the problem? And even this is how we're teaching our converts or our reverts. We're not giving them strong roots. We're teaching them, here are the rules, right? So then what happens? The first test that they go through, and they can't handle it because they didn't have those strong roots. And this is what's happening to our youth. So what is very, it's very, very important, and, I, and I'm not um, saying that the rules are not important. I'm saying that there is a methodology, there is a, there is a prophetic methodology, and it, it, it was about, about teaching the, 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 the foundation in the love of Allah, and in, in, in healthy taqwa, and then introducing the rules. Now how do you do that? How do you build that foundation? The foundation comes, now I, I said to you that we need to love Allah, right? But how do you love someone? Like think about, think about a human being. Are you going to love someone that you don't know? Again, this stranger in the mall comes up to you and says, by the way, I'm never going to speak to you again. Right? You don't have any reaction to that. Why? Because you don't love this person. You don't love this person. Why? Because you don't know them. Y'all are amazing. You can't love someone you don't know. The way to love someone is to know them. You have to, you have to know and, 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 and remember that person and, and learn about that person in order to love them. We can't love the Prophet if we don't know the Prophet We can't love Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala if we don't know Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So it's about beginning a path of knowledge of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now how do you do that? Well, there's no better way than through his own words. Through his own words, which is the Qur'an, the words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the hadith. As you start to remember Allah more, now this is the concept of dhikr and the role of dhikr in our lives. Dhikr is how we get to know Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. By reading the Qur'an, by studying the Qur'an, and by remembering Allah throughout our day and throughout our lives. Now something that you're going to find interesting is in the Qur'an, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about dhikr, when Allah talks about dhikr, He doesn't just tell us to remember him. Or he doesn't just say the law. But there's another word that's added. Does anyone know what it is? Okay. Kathiran. Kathiran. And the word kathiran means a lot. So when Allah talks about dhikr in the Quran, he doesn't just talk about remembering Allah. Because see, 
Here's the thing. We could remember Allah once a week, right? Like, like other religions who remember God once a week, if they remember God once a week, okay? We could remember Allah just once a week on Friday. But is that enough? The answer is it's not. Why? I'm going to tell you why. Think it's like oxygen. It's simply like oxygen. Now, could you breathe once a week and be okay? No. Okay, you guys are seriously amazing. You can't breathe once a week and be okay. You can't remember Allah once a week and be okay. What about if you only breathed um, for 29 to 30 days a year? You feel me? What am I talking about? Ramadan, right? What if that was the only time you breathed? You wouldn't, you wouldn't live. And this is the issue, and I, and I truly, I believe, there's a, there's a few reasons why we're suffering. There's, there's a few reasons why we're suffering. The first is we don't have firm roots. We don't have a foundation. So any wind that comes, it's knocking us down. Any trial, it's knocking us down. Not only individually, but as a community. You guys understand what I'm saying? Individually and collective, we don't have firm roots. And part of the reason for that is that we haven't really built our love for Allah. And we haven't taught our children. Instead, we're just teaching rules. Alright, so that's one problem. Another reason why I think we're suffering is that many of us are low on oxygen. Just the same way that someone, you know, comes into the hospital and they check their pulse ox, they check their oxygen level. If it's low, that person isn't going to be able to survive. So I think what's happening to us is that our oxygen level, and I'm talking about spiritual oxygen, our spiritual oxygen level is very, very low. Why? We are just simply aren't remembering Allah enough. It's really very simple. See, someone can go to the doctor and be like, doctor, I have no idea what's wrong with me, right? I'm having all these problems, so lethargic, I'm so weak. I'm just... And you know what? The doctor could come and give them a million different cures, right? But if the person isn't breathing, None of those other things are going to matter, right? So it's, it's, that's really the essence of our problem, is that we just don't have enough spiritual oxygen. We just don't remember Allah enough. We don't remember Allah enough. So how is it that we can incorporate this spiritual oxygen in a practical way in our lives? What do you guys think? Prayer. First thing, right? I want to just take a moment and talk about the importance of the salah. And the reason I want to do that is if I don't do that, I'd be like a, a, a nutritionist or like a personal trainer coming up here and talking to you about, you know what, this is eat, eat organic, eat raw, you know, exercise, but none of you are breathing. I would be, I, 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 I'm, missing, I'm missing the forest, right? I'm missing the forest for the leaf. I'm missing the most essential thing if I'm not going to talk about Salah. Are you guys feeling me? Yeah. Yes? Yeah. So I have to talk about Salah. If we're going to talk about spiritual health or having any relationship with Allah, we have to talk about Salah. Because the Prophet ﷺ told us that the Salah is the essence, right? He told us a few things, and I'm just going to remind you and myself of these things. First, he told us that the difference between a believer and a kafir, a disbeliever, is the Salah. Okay? You feel me? He didn't say the difference between a believer and a disbeliever is drinking alcohol or zina or any of these other terrible sins. He said salah. Do you understand? I want that to just be absorbed. The other thing the Prophet told us is that the first thing we're asked about on the day of judgment is salah. 
That's the first thing. And then he goes on to say that if your salah is in order, then, then that person will be successful. And if it is not, then that person will have failed. So it won't matter that you ate organic if you're not breathing. You feel me? It won't matter. You have to breathe just to stay alive, and then we can talk about eating healthy and exercising. Right? Okay, now, the salah. One other thing I want to mention about it is that it is just like oxygen. And oxygen isn't something that you can delay. You know, you know what I mean? Like, if you're having a really important exam, like, say you're taking the most important exam of your life, you're taking the MCATs, or you're taking the LSATs, or you're taking whatever exam it is that you're taking, are you going to say, well, because I'm taking this exam, or because I'm studying for this exam, I'll breathe tomorrow, or I'll breathe next week, or maybe next year. And you can't say that, right? Anyone? What's going to happen? You will die before tomorrow because you have to breathe to be able to stay alive. And so you're never going to put off breathing in order to study for an exam. You're never going to put off breathing in order to go shop with the mall. You're not going to put off breathing because you're in a bad mood that day. Right? This is another thing that, this is another tactic that Shaitan uses. Is that when you're down, and everyone's going to get down, I guarantee it. It's just part of dunya, isn't it? We have ups and we have downs. Anyone not have downs? Exactly. So the point is, you're alive. You live in dunya. Therefore, you're going to have times where you're down. You're going to have times when you don't feel like it. You're going to have times when you don't have energy. You're going to have times maybe when you feel really, really you know, heavy and not motivated. Now, in those times, let me ask you this. What would happen if you stopped breathing? You would die. You'd die. So you wouldn't just be down anymore. You'd actually die. You feeling me? And this is what happens spiritually. You might feel down, but if you stop praying, you're not just going to be down. It will be a spiritual death. You see, and this is the trick that Shaitan uses, is that when you're down, he wants you to give up on your salah. It, even if you're down because maybe you committed a sin. Maybe you feel ashamed of yourself. And this is another trick. If you feel ashamed of yourself, Shaitan sometimes comes and says, look at you, look at you, you hypocrite. You're so two-faced, right? You're a hypocrite because you're, you're committing this sin which you know is wrong and then you're going to go pray. You see? This is a classic trick of shaitan. He wants you to lose hope. He wants you to despair. So he wants you to give up. It's like a person who gets sick. Suppose you have the flu. Anyone ever got sick before? The flu, alright? Now say you have the flu and you're sick. And then you think, you know what? Because I'm sick, I'm going to stop breathing. Makes no sense, right? What's going to happen to you? You're going to get sicker until you die. And this is the problem, is that when you're down, even if you're, you've just committed the worst sin in the universe, right? If you choose at that point not to pray, you're only going to make it worse. And what can happen is that what shaitan is trying to do is to make you go lower and lower and lower. Because you don't just get down like this when you leave oxygen. You get down, 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 down like this. 
and it goes fast. And then eventually it's a spiritual death. And when a person's spiritually dead, a lot of bad things happen after that. And I'll just give you a few of them. One of the things that happens when you're spiritually dead is that you can no longer see the difference between right and wrong. And, and something else happens. You start to see wrong as right. And you start to see right as wrong. Black becomes white and white becomes black. <coughs> this is why, this is why, if you ever look at a person who starts to move away from their, from the deen, it always has to start with the salah. So for example, a person doesn't just wake up one day, praying five times a day, doing their afghar, doing all that, and wakes up one day and says, I'm going to take off my hijab. That's just not how it happens. It's just not how it happens. Here's how it happens. It happens because you slowly start to move away from the remembrance of Allah, and there's something else that happens, and that is your environment. Okay? Human beings, human beings are, are rather predictable. We try to say, like, human beings are, are so unpredictable. No, they're not. Human beings are rather predictable. You stop breathing, you die, right? You jump in a pile of dirt, you get dirty. <laughs> you feel me? You go into water, you get wet. So this is what's happening. You do certain things spiritually, you're going to have a very predictable re reaction or a very predictable outcome. So if a person stops remembering Allah, they start missing their prayers. Or they start delaying their prayers. Or you know what, all five before I sleep. And then it becomes two. And then it becomes one, then it becomes zero. That is the slippery slope of how someone gets to a point, for example, where they take off their hijab. Or whatever it is that they're doing. Whatever sin it is. What also happens is the environment. Now this is another point I want to make. Very important. The prophets I said them told us that a person is on the deen of their closest friend. You understand what that means? That's very profound. What does that even mean? It means that you will take on the actions, the mannerisms, the beliefs, even the same things are going to become funny to you. Okay? You start to become just like your best friend. You start to become just like your best friend. So you have to be very careful who your best friend is. You understand? If your best friend is a certain way, you will be like that. That's, and this isn't me saying, this is prophetic. This is, this is the prophet's I said, I'm saying, that the person is on the way of their closest friend. So what happens is, if you, if you get a person, they stop taking in their, their spiritual oxygen, or they start to reduce, they have lower level of oxygen, right? They're, they're not praying. They're not having a, a, a regular regimen of dhikr, of remembrance of Allah. They're not praying, they're not reading Quran. They're not in circles of remembrance of Allah. They're not around company that remember Allah. And then now add something else. And there's a new element now in, with social media. Now add the element that everywhere they look, it's all about looks. <laughs> that was kind of cool. Everywhere they look, it's all about appearances. Right? 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 It's all about how you look. It's all about how you dress. It's all about how skinny you are. It's all about how, you know, how, how uh, attractive you can be, right? Because, you know, you're following all these people on Instagram. And then you're following these people on, on Snapchat or Facebook, whatever. And it's all about looks. And what else? Fashion. Fashion and looks. Now, take that person. 
Take that person. They've just taken away their spiritual oxygen, or they're slowly taking it away. They're not praying as regularly. They don't have that connection to Allah through the remembrance of Allah. Again, it's oxygen. It can't be once a week. It can't even be once a day, right? There's a reason we pray five times a day, right? So imagine you take that away, and now add the fact that everything around them is all about how you look and how you dress. What do you think? Now, you don't have to be a genius. What's going to happen with that person? It doesn't take a genius. Eventually, what happens is the hijab starts to become looser, right? And then eventually it's like, you know, just different. And then eventually it's off. And this is no surprise. It's not like, oh my God, I don't know where that, how that happened. It's a very predictable type of re- reaction. And it's because our connection to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, one example. This is just one example. Let me, let me explain. Hijab is one act of worship. It's not the only act of worship, but it is one act of worship, all right? And I'm using this as an example because there's an epidemic just now. And, and it's important to understand why that's happening. So, especially when we live in a world that's so obsessed with looks and so obsessed with fashion and so obsessed with how you appear, and then you take away the, the, the connection to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, there's no surprise. Your environment shapes you. And so that brings me to the next point, okay? The first point I talked about was the oxygen, right? The salah. And in addition to that, let me just advise one other thing. There are supplications that the Prophet used to say throughout his day. I advise you to at least take some of those and make them a regular habit. And the reason for that is it's, it's similar to not just increasing your oxygen, but like taking really, really strong vitamins and minerals, right? If I were going to talk to you about physical health, this is what I would tell you. This is spiritual health. And so if you're saying these du'as, these supplications throughout your day, you're going to become healthier and stronger spiritually. What are they? We'll get an app called My Du'a, two A's at the end. And this is, this is basically, this is Fortress of the Muslim. It's a collection of the du'as of the Prophet and ayahs from the Qur'an, of what he used to say throughout his day. Get that app. It's like the best investment. It's like 99 cents, guys. Get that app, have it on your phone, and make a regimen with your afqar. There are, there are supplications you're supposed to say in the morning, supplications you're supposed to say in the evening, and there's some before you sleep. If you can at least do these three times, it doesn't have to be a lot, this is another trick of shaitan, just let me tell you this. His trick is all or none. Ever heard that one before? If you can't be perfect, just don't try. Right? As soon as you mess up, just give up. That's shaitan, That's shaitan's trick. So even if you're going to say two supplications, two du'as, but you're going to be consistent, it's better than doing nothing. And it will be effective. Do as much as you can, but be consistent. The Prophet Sallallahu said that Allah loves the actions that are consistent, even if they're small. Even if they're small. This is a spiritual principle, but it's also a physical principle, right? Because if you want to get a flat stomach, you have to do sit-ups regularly. You can't say, I did a thousand. Why isn't it working? You also can't say, I did one. So you have to be consistent if you want to see results, even if it's small. So this is part of your, your oxygen. And then, and then part, the last part of the oxygen is the Qur'an, is having a connection to the Qur'an a regular connection to the words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's spiritual oxygen, okay? The second part, 
has to do with environment. And this is, I touched upon it a little bit with social media, but I really cannot overemphasize the importance of environment. You, you know they say you are what you eat. You are what you eat. If you constantly sip on poison, like every day in the morning for breakfast with your cornflakes, you have a sip of poison. And you do this every single day. You might not die right away, depending how strong the poison is. But what, if, what are you doing? You're dying slowly, right? You're actually harming your organs, but you're doing it slowly. The same thing happens spiritually. That when you're sipping on poison through the things that you're looking at, through the things you're listening to, through the things you're talking about, it is having an effect on your heart. It's just like eating poisonous food or drinking poison. You might not die right away, but you are killing yourself internally. And so when you're watching things which are haram and listening to things that are haram and talking about things that are haram, it's just like sipping and eating poison. You're actually killing your heart in little by little internally. So be mindful of what you're looking at. Be mindful, and I, and I think now the, the best and most important way to be mindful of what you're looking at is to manage your news feed, okay? I'm not going to tell you right now just be off all social media because that's not realistic. And some social media is, is extremely beneficial, right? But I'm telling you to manage your news feed because managing your news feed is like managing your fridge, okay? Now, if there's poison out there, I'm not going to tell you to stop eating. I'm going to tell you, manage your fridge. Because whatever you have in your fridge, that's what you're going to eat. Whatever's on your newsfeed, think of your newsfeed like your fridge. Okay? Whatever's on your newsfeed is what you're going to eat that day. So, what you look at that day, what you read that day, that's what you're taking in. That's what you're eating that day. So, check out your fridge. What's in your fridge? Check your newsfeed. What's on it? What's in it? What's in it? Is it healthy? Is it healthy stuff? Or is it about what celebrities are eating and wearing? Or every kind of way to, to, to put on makeup and hijabs? Is that it? Do you get it? Do you get what I'm saying? Is it that you're looking at things you shouldn't be looking at? Is it all superficial? Or is it healthy? Is it something that's enriching you? Or something that's poisoning you? Do you understand what I'm saying? Who are you following on social media? That's what you're eating that day. A person will be as this, on the same way as their closest friend. What are you taking in every single day? That's what you become. Is that making sense? So that is why if the only thing you're looking at every single day is every single fashion trend and every single, you know what I mean, every possible way to contour, I mean like everything, every possible way, and that's it. The fashion trends, the contouring, the celebrities, and that's all you're looking at every single day, that's going to have an effect on you. That's going to start to make you focus on those things, and then that, that, will, that will become the most important thing to you. So look at how healthy your food is. And again, I, right now, I'm not actually talking about, right, I'm not talking necessarily about filth here. Yes, there's some things that are clearly hard to look at. Like, Someone who's next to naked, it's hard to look at, right? There's a reason why Allah tells us to lower our gaze. Because lowering the gaze protects the heart. That's how it works. So there's a reason we're not supposed to look at these things. 
And somehow people think that if it's behind the screen, it's a little bit more okay. And it isn't. It's the same. If there's a screen there or there's no screen there, it's still not, you're not allowed to look at it. And looking at it will cause the same damage to your heart as if the person was in real life. Right? So this is, this is protecting the heart. So think every time you look at something haram, you're drinking poison. Every time you listen to something haram, you're, 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 you're pouring poison into your heart. So what it's about, so there's these things that are completely haram, obviously, to look at. But then there's like this, this middle gray area. Is it haram to look at every fashion trend? No, maybe not. Maybe, in fact, maybe they're hijabi, right? They're fully dressed. I'm making another point here. Please understand. It's a deep point. And that is, is fashion all that matters? That's the question. It's not about whether it's haram or halal to, to, to follow these things or to care about these things. That's fine. But the problem is when that becomes your focal point. The problem is when that becomes your greatest concern is how you look and how you dress and what's in fashion and what isn't and how to tie your hijab and how to do your conference. And that's it. And what this celebrity is doing, what that celebrity is doing. Right? Like, like, I, like we're supposed to care that they're eating a burger or whatever. Or that anyone cares that you're eating a burger, right? There's a new world that we live in. And that's like, it's like haram to eat something without taking a picture of it first and posting it. It's weird. Weird habits. Weird things. I'm asking you to, to take a step back and, and to realize, is this what matters? Right? Right now, I'm not even talking. It's not haram to, to follow, like, burgers. Like, various ways to eat a burger, Right? But is it useful? Like, is it is it useful? And then to put more healthy food in your fridge. Like, stock up your fridge with healthy food, right? Because you are what you eat. So whatever's in your fridge is what you're going to eat. Whatever's on your newsfeed, whoever you follow, whoever you keep as your closest friend, whoever you're around, is going to become, is going to be what you become. It's going to be what you consider most important. So fill it with more healthy food, right? Now, now we bring in the organic raw food, right? More healthy people to follow. More healthy pages. Because you have every kind of thing on social media, don't you? You have every option. You choose. Do y'all know what I'm talking about? And by the way, let me just tell you a secret about Facebook. There's this thing called unfollow. And no one has to know. And please use it. Like, I'm serious. I'm serious. Use it. Remember that your 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 newsfeed is your fridge, and you're gonna that's what you're gonna eat that day. So so make it more healthy. Make it something that's going to enrich you. Follow people that are going to make you learn something that can inspire you, that can teach you. So use social media to become to develop yourself rather than to sip poison. You understand what I'm saying? Okay. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to just wrap up and then give you time to ask questions, inshallah. And then we have um, books available um, at the end. Uh, but just to reiterate, I'm just going to just sort of um, bring it all together, full, full circle, inshallah. First is the importance of having solid roots, having a solid connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is the prophetic way. This is the prophetic methodology of how to, to, to train tarbiyah. And, and, and the training of another human being and of ourselves is to have solid roots in the relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There's a very powerful um, analogy 
given by Ibn al-Qayyim rahimullah, where he said that a believer in his path to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is like a bird. And the head of the bird is the love of Allah. See, the love of Allah is our driving force. If you cut off the head of a bird, it's dead. Right? So the head has to be the love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's the driving force of a believer in their path to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then he says that one wing of the bird is hope. And one wing of the bird is fear. So you have the head, which is love, that's the driving force. And then you have one wing, which is hope. This is rajat, or like hope in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That you have hope that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will forgive you. You have hope that you will go to Jannah. You have hope that even when you mess up, you keep going. That's extremely important. Because one of the tactics of shaitan is despair. Shaitan will tell you every time you mess up, every time you slip, he'll say, just stay there. Right? There's no point. There's no point in praying. You're a hypocrite. You committed this sin. There's no point in going to the masjid. Look at the things you're doing outside. But that's a trick because Allah wants you to go to Him even when you mess up. And especially when you mess up. Especially when you mess up. Look at Adam, Look at Adam. Look at his story. Why does Allah tell us this story? Because it's a lesson. What did he do? He ate from a tree he wasn't supposed to. Right? Y'all learned this story when you were like three, right? He ate from a tree he wasn't supposed to. But then what did he do? He asked for forgiveness. He humbled himself. He said, we've wronged ourselves. He didn't even blame Shaitan, which is very interesting, right? He said, we've wronged ourselves. This is taking responsibility, which is like the first step. And he's humbling himself. And then he is asking for forgiveness. He's not despairing. He's not losing hope. He's saying, we've wronged ourselves. And if you don't forgive us and have mercy on us, we'll be among the losers. That's what Adam did. Now look what Shaitan did. Shaitan messed up. What did he do? What did he do? Before that, what did he do? He refused to bow, right? He was told to make a sajda and he refused. He was arrogant and he refused. But let me ask you this question. Has anyone in their entire life ever missed a fajr? Like ever? Like in ever? Okay, you don't have to answer that question. Alright. How many sajdas are in fajr? Two. Oh wait, no, no, no. Two times two. Yeah, four. Okay. So let me let me ask you this question. Who's worse? Now you're getting scared. Who's worse? One, someone who misses one says that or someone who misses four? Okay. Four is worse, right? So how come we're all not going to hell? Hopefully. We're not prideful, but there's something else. We ask for forgiveness. Exactly. We ask for forgiveness. It's, it's not, look, look, no one's perfect. No one's perfect. And Allah knows this. It's not a mistake. Allah knows that he created angels who are perfect and he created humans and jinn who are not. He says and he knows that this is part of the design. There's a hadith that says that all the children of Adam are going to commit sins. And the best of them are who? Not the ones that don't commit sins. The ones are who repent. Do you understand? So the difference between us and shaitan, inshallah, 
is that we repent. We don't give up, and we repent, and we keep going. And if you look at the, when you look at the story of Adam next to the story of Shaitan, you see that one of them didn't, one of them was commanded not to eat from the tree and ate from it. One of them was commanded to bow and didn't bow. But their endings were very different. Their endings were very different. One became cursed, became like the most cursed till the end of time. And one became a prophet. Is that, do you understand? Adam Ali Salam humbled himself, he didn't lose hope, and he repented. And Iblis, on the other hand, his reaction was to blame Allah, as someone said. He blamed Allah, and he became more and more rebellious. Instead of humbling himself, and instead of repenting, you know what, I was wrong, forgive me. He didn't do that. He blamed Allah, so he didn't take responsibility, and he rebelled more against Allah. He said, okay, since you kicked me out, I'm going to try to take as many people with me to hell. Give me time. That's all he asked for. He said, give me time. Why does he want time? He wants time so he can take as many of us with him as possible. So this is the difference. So not losing hope. Not falling into that trap. And making sure that we are oxygenated spiritually and that our environment is healthy. What I'm going to do now is I want to take questions. So the first question is, um, what is your book about and what made you inspire to write it? Okay, so my book, I have two books. One is called Reclaim Your Heart and one is called Love and Happiness. And um, what inspired me to write both of these books was my own journey, actually. Uh, so all of us together are in the same journey, right? We are all in dunya trying to get our way to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We're all in the same place, um, ultimately, is with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And in that journey, we go through stuff, right? We go through pain, we go through loss, we go through happiness, we go through, um, you know, all these various experiences. And as I went through these experiences, um, I, I learned a lot of things and I wrote about it. And so what I tried to do is... Uh, share what I've learned through experience because I'm in it, right? I'm not like writing about something that I don't like didn't experience, but like I'm talking about things that I've experienced um, in order and my goal, my, my hope is to help others uh, because I hope to, to try to help other people get out of dark places um, and, and to try to help other people uh, not maybe have to go through the same stuff that I went through. And by, because I, and there's a lot of stuff that I write in these books that I wish I had read um, a long time ago. Because I, I, I mean, you know, everything's meant to be. But there's there's things that that, that are avoidable if you just if you know what's what it is that you're doing wrong. But a lot of people don't know what they're doing wrong, and they continue to go through the same cycles of, of disappointment and pain and, and mistakes. Um, so it's really really important that we understand how to avoid these things. So essentially, um, reclaim your heart is about um, you know getting through this life uh, without allowing dunya to own you, and how to get through loss, and how to get through uh, you know how do we how not only loss but also gifts because see Allah Subhanahu wa Taala tests us with both good and bad right um, Allah tests us with difficult things but Allah also tests us by giving us the things that we love so how to pass both tests and that's a very very important concept. 
Often people think about tests only come through loss or tests only come through pain. No, the person who's been given money is also being tested. The person who's being given power is also tested, right? Or, or fame or any of these things that people want, it's also a test. Um, and then love and happiness is also, uh, you know, I, I actually, let me go ahead and just read that intro really quick. Things fall apart, and they break sometimes. Like many of you, my journey hasn't always been easy. Pain is very real, and so is loss. Sometimes it's hard not to let the weight of what we carry or the memory of what we've lost take over. Many of us know the reality of struggle, and so many people suffer in silence. It is hard. It is hard not to give up when we face the repeated disappointments of life. Like some of you, I have known loneliness, I have known defeat, and I have fallen many times chasing mirages and broken many bones, building castles in life's fading sands. Sometimes all it took was one solid wave to destroy what I had spent years building. So I decided to give it a voice, all of it, the tears, the pain, and the lessons. The things which I saw and learned and gained along my life path needed a voice. I wanted to give back in hopes of helping myself and others survive. But then, it wasn't only about surviving. I didn't only want people to survive inside their storms. I wanted people to thrive inside their storms. And so I wrote as I walked through my own. The words found in this book became my voice and my letter to the world. They became my deepest attempt to not just pick myself up, but others along the way. I wrote because just as we will fall in life, so will we rise. That's the thing about this world. It never gives us only one kind of path. There is pain, yes, and loss, and even darkness, but there is also light, there is hope, there is beauty, and there is also love and happiness. Um, so I got a really deep question here, um, and I'm going to try to answer that one. Um, the question was, <clears throat> if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is um, so merciful, um, if Allah is the most merciful, why does he place burdens and tragedies on us to suffer, such as losing a loved one? Very deep question. I actually have an entire class about that question. Um, called, um, it's an Al-Maghrib class called Silver Lining. Um, and it's a very big question, uh, which you can't really answer in three minutes. But um, I'm trying to think when, what's the nearest class. I'm happy, yeah, I'm, I'm bringing it to Detroit, inshallah, Dearborn. Um, so inshallah, I'll look up that date and let you know. Um, but inshallah, it will be coming to Dearborn. So I encourage you to come, inshallah. But uh, to answer that question as briefly as I can, the Prophet Sallallahu told us in a very profound hadith, that the matter of a believer is strange because everything is good for a believer. Now that sounds really strange, but the reality is that no matter what happens to a believer, it's ultimately good for them, even pain and even tragedy. And you might ask, well, why? And the answer is, I'll answer that question by asking you a question. 
Have you ever seen a child having to get shots? It's, it's not fun, right? I hate that part of parenting, right? Giving your child shots. What do you have to do when you give a child shots? You have to inflict pain, right? It's pain to it. But why? Why are you giving them that shot? What's inside of that needle? The answer is some sort of medicine, you know, whether or not you believe in vaccines, um, even if they're getting medicine through that shot, it's to cure them. It's to strengthen them. You understand? Even though it involves some amount of pain, but ultimately it's for their own good. And this is how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is, but Allah is high above it in any analogy because Allah is more merciful than a mother is to her child. If I hate hurting my child with a, with a prick of a needle, what about Allah? See, my mercy can't compare to Allah's mercy. Allah does not want to give us pain. Allah wants to give us strength. And there's a completely different way of seeing it. Questions are coming in. Um, okay, so someone said here that, um, can you tell them a few words that speak to the issues they face? So someone's asking about specifically the young men. Um, because I spoke about, I gave an example of hijab, and we'll talk about some of the specific struggles that are facing young men. Um, sure, I'll try. Um, I think one of the most important thing I did actually touch upon, but I will reiterate, and that is the guarding of the eyes. Uh, I cannot emphasize enough how much poison is out there, how much poison we are ingesting every single day by not guarding our eyes. That when we look at something that we're not supposed to look at, it is not harmless. It is like you're drinking poison and it is affecting your heart. And so the best advice that I can give you living as a, as a guy, living in this society, and as a girl, especially as a guy, is the advice of Allah. This isn't just a hadith, this is an ayah in the Quran about ghadd al-basar, about lowering the gaze, guarding your eyes. Remember that your eyes are the opening to your heart. I want you to remember that. Your eyes are the opening to your heart. Whatever you're taking in through your eyes, is going directly to your heart, and it imprints. And so the best advice is the advice of Allah, your creator. Lower your gaze, guard your eyes. Don't let poison go into your eyes, because it will go straight to your heart. And that's the best advice I can give. I mean, of course, there's many other issues, but the core issue, the core issue right now, I think, is this bombardment with falahish, right? Like, everywhere we, there's just shamelessness everywhere. It's just, and, and we become desensitized to it, by the way, right? We don't even react anymore when we see these magazine covers with literally naked people. It's just like, it doesn't affect us anymore. We're so used to it, right? We see it all the time on social media. We're used to it. But it, we shouldn't be used to it. It shouldn't be something that we become desensitized. That means our heart is, is becoming numb. It's becoming deadened. And so you, the, the best thing that you can do is, is to repent and to guard your eyes. And, and when you guard your eyes, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give you better than that which you are turning away from. You understand? Allah will give you better than that which you're turning away from. For his sake. So that's the best advice I can give um, for, for, for the guys living in this type of society. And of course the, the sisters as well. 
So as young adults, how can we better serve the youth and provide them with tools that they need to face the same challenges that um, we struggle through? Um, again, I think uh, it's, it's by creating that foundation. And that foundation is in knowing Allah, loving Allah, and just being there for your child. The Prophet gave us the best advice about parenting. He said that the first seven years uh, should be about, you know, um, love. That showing unconditional love to your child. The second seven years are tarbiyah, teaching them right and wrong. And then the, the third set of, of seven years is about being their friend. So in the sense of being their friend, it doesn't mean you don't direct them, but this becomes sort of the, the focal point of your relationship is that your 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 child um, once they get a little bit older feels comfortable sharing with you feels comfortable coming to you um, and, and and in order to do that you have to not bite their head off every time they say something wrong but that you try to direct them in a way that that, that they can continue to come to you but of course your job is still to direct them, right? It's, you can't just be their friend in the sense of like they're they're running off a cliff and you're like, see you, have fun, right? You can't do that either because it's not a very good friend. That's not a very good friend. If a friend sees another friend driving towards a cliff and just says, see ya, you know, have fun, that's not a very good friend. So obviously you have to also direct your child, um, but just kind of trying to be more approachable, I guess, and more empathetic. Okay, um, spoke about the failure of teaching our children about the love of God because we teach them uh, unhealthy fear of God, not just to fear God, because we should fear God, but in a healthy way. Uh, by the way, let me just uh, give you like a litmus test. Um, how do you know if it's healthy fear or unhealthy fear? There's a very simple way of knowing. Does it bring you closer to Allah or does it take you away? That's the, that's the litmus test. So if you feel really ashamed of something that you've done, is it making you go closer to Allah and repent? Or is it making you go away and avoid? You see? If it's making you get closer to Allah and repent, it's healthy. That's the healthy kind of remorse that we're supposed to have when we sin. I'm not telling you not to have remorse. I mean, there's healthy remorse, and we should have remorse when we sin. But is it healthy remorse that's bringing you closer to Allah and, and, and motivating you to repent and to fix yourself? Or is it demotivating you? Is it making you lose hope? Is it making you go further from Allah? And if it is, if it is making you go away from Allah, it's not healthy. And it is from shaitan, not from Allah. Anything that brings you away from Allah is not healthy and it is from the shaitan. So it, it might come in the guise of shame or fear or regret, but if it is making you leave or go distance yourself from Allah and to give up on your worship and to leave and to distance yourself from the masjid and to distance yourself from the people of dhikr of, of and to leave good company, then it is it's not healthy. Right? And there's lots of tricks that shaitan will use to get you away from the masjid, to get you away from a good crowd. Oh, they're so judgmental. Right? They're so judgmental. So let me go with this crowd that are judgmental. Right? There's a lot of tricks. Just be conscious of that. So always ask yourself, is it bringing you closer to Allah or taking you away? So the question is, how do we begin to change this approach? Again, we just have to go back to the foundation, the prophetic model of, of, of building that bond with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Okay. 
It is very hard for me to stop falling under peer pressure. Thank you for being honest. Um, I have tried to get closer to Allah, but it is hard. What do you suggest? I completely understand. I grew up um, in this country, and I went to public school my entire life. I'm a big proponent of Islamic school. Um, however, in my community, there was no Islamic school. It wasn't an option. Um, so I understand what this is like. Uh, but what I would say to you is, it's about holding tight to the Salah, honestly. It's about holding tight to the Salah. The more that you protect yourself by holding tight to the Salah and to the remembrance of Allah, if you can incorporate these du'as and make them a habit in the morning, in the evening, before you sleep, then you will become, you know what that's like? It's like putting on an armor. You know when you put on an armor? Even if you're in the middle of a battlefield and you're wearing an armor, you're protected, right? I understand school is like a battlefield. I understand that the world and, and, and the media and, and everything around us and the peer pressure, it's like a battlefield. But that's why you have to wear your armor. If you're not praying and you're not remembering Allah and you're not reading your Quran and you're not going to a halakah and you don't have good friends, it's like going into a battlefield with no armor. What happens? You get killed. You get knocked down. There's no surprise. There's no mystery in why that happens. So putting, reading, reading, doing your salah, being consistent in your salah. And by the way, I know that those are times during school. Sometimes Asa will too. I'm telling you, you need to go to your principal or and, and talk, tell them I need a place to pray. You have to do that because the same way you would never say. I'm at school, so I'll breathe when I get home. It's not going to work, right? So you have to make sure that you're asking for accommodations to pray. And it is your right, by the way. You can pray during lunch, or you can pray in a break, or whatever it is. But ask for accommodations. Ask for a room. And the amazing thing about doing that is that you're now setting a precedence for other students who come after. Other Muslim students who will come after you in school because now there's a place for prayer. And so it's a very, very, very profound reward for doing that. Okay, so make sure that you're praying even when you're at school and you're not missing your time with Salah. Remember, you would never put off breathing just for school, right? Anyone? Anyone do that? Anyone say I'm not going to breathe because I have to focus on my class? No. Okay, <laughs> good. Um, so, so yeah. So Salah at school, make sure you're doing that and um, and, and, and having that foundation in, in the good. And, the, and these du'as, I can't emphasize enough how powerful they are. The yeah, of God, as much as you can incorporate them, they're easy to memorize, but it, even if you have your app, um, you can read them off there. Okay, I think I will close it, I think, there. Um, okay, as young people, we're around peers that aren't Muslim. How do we keep our values when people around us don't value what we believe? Deep question. Here's what I have to say to you. Be very, very mindful who you take as your closest companion. I cannot emphasize that enough. I understand you go to school with non-Muslims, you go to work with non-Muslims, but there's a difference between going to school with someone, working with someone, and taking them as their best friend. You see? Because the hadith says khalile. The hadith says, that you're going to take the religion or the way. Deen, by the way, isn't just religion. It's any way, a way of life. So, 
You're going to take the way of life of your Khalid, which is your closest, deep, like it's a, it's a very close friend. It's your BFF, okay? It's your closest friend. So be careful who you take as your closest friend. It should be someone who reminds you of Allah. Someone who isn't going to make fun of you that you're going to pray. Or isn't going to encourage you not to wear hijab or to take it off. That's not a good friend. Or someone who, who's, who's, who drinks or who, you know, who, who has certain types of relationships with the opposite gender. That's not going to be a good khalid. Because the problem with having that as your khalid is you become like them. And that's just absolute prophetic advice because it's human nature. You become like the person closest to you. This is also why it's very important you're very careful who you marry. Because you become like them. And they become similar. If you marry a person who doesn't fear Allah, or you marry a person who doesn't pray, it's very, very dangerous because you will become influenced by that. So you have to be very careful who you take as your closest friend. It's one thing, again, to have non-Muslims in your class or in work, but it's another to take them as your best friend. And, 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 and when they're doing things which are completely against, you know, drinking or dating or drugs, um, it's very dangerous to you. And what I would say to you is this. If you have a choice between drinking poison or drinking nothing, which one's better? No, 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 obviously nothing, dude. No. <laughs> um, if you have a choice between, in the moment, like say you have two choices, right? I say, hey, I have some poison for you, or you can refrain from drinking anything. Which one's better? Refrain. Obviously refrain, right? So what's the point here? The point is it's better to have no friends than to have bad friends. You understand what I'm saying? Even if you have to be alone. No, dude, I'm, I'm serious. It's better to have no friends for a time. It's not going to last forever. It never lasts forever. Even if it's for a limited amount of time, even being alone is better than being with bad company. Because it's the difference between drinking poison and drinking nothing. And let me tell you this. Let me tell you another secret. Dua is powerful. Okay? Dua is powerful. Ask Allah to send you good friends. Ask Allah. If you have no one good around you, go on your own and ask Allah to send you good friends. And He will. But don't say, well, I got no other choice, so I'm going to go to the poison group. Because they will kill you. And I'm just going to say one other thing to you. In the Quran, it says that the people in hellfire, you know what, you know what they're going to say? There's a couple things that they say, but one of them is, I wish I had not taken so-and-so as a friend. Why? Because he misled me. He took me to the wrong path. This is an actual direct quote from the people of Hellfire that that's what they're going to regret. They're going to say, I wish I didn't take this one as a friend because this one led me astray. It's the people around us sometimes that lead us astray. So they're going to regret that. So it's better to be alone for a time than to be with someone who leads you to hell. Simple as that. And again, make du'a for good friends. Make du'a for good company. Make du'a for a good spouse. And Allah hears the du'as. Another thing that the people of Hellfire will say is, I was not among those who prayed. So when they're asked, They're asked, what made you enter Hellfire? And they'll say, we were not, the first thing they say, we were not among those who prayed. So you see the theme here. Do you understand? Yes. Um, so I have a bit of a question. Um, so I think what happens a lot of the times is that we automatically label people who, who aren't Muslim as bad friends and people who are Muslim as good friends. 
So how can we make that distinguishing? Like how can okay. we make that like how can we tell the difference? Okay, good question. So I'll repeat it. He said sometimes we just automatically label anyone who's not Muslim as a bad friend and anyone who is Muslim as a good friend. You're right. That's not necessarily the case. First of all, everyone who's Muslim isn't necessarily a good friend. Because you can have a Muslim who drinks and does drugs and dates and who is a, a terrible or, or mocks um, someone who prays is a terrible influence. So absolutely, it's not just because they're Muslim they're a good, they're a good friend. When I'm talking about a good friend, I'm talking about someone who reminds you of Allah, someone who helps you to do what's right, someone who encourages you to pray, someone who prays with you, right? Someone who you go to a halakha with, not, not just because they're Muslim. Now when you talk about non-Muslims, you're right. Not just because you have a non-Muslim friend doesn't mean that they're you know, drinking and, 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 and dating and, and taking drugs, and I'm not saying that. But you have to also be careful because the essence of the belief is different, right? Even if they're not doing those things, and maybe they're not encouraging you to do it, but the essence of the belief isn't there. And so they're also not encouraging you to get closer to Allah, right? Even if they're not, even if they're not like telling you to go clubbing with them, but they're also not helping you to, to get closer to Allah. So what I'm saying is, if you want to make it to Jannah, you want to do your best to have as much support as possible, right? So you want to be around the people who are going to support you the most in getting to Jannah. You understand? Okay. Uh, oh, good question. Yes. Sorry. Um, I want you to tell the because that's what I tell my kids that you don't have to memorize the certain duas like if you can't like it's a language barrier or something. Yeah. Learn to talk to Allah yes, in yes. your own language. Yes, like thank speak you. to Him to help you yes. to deal with the strong. Perfect. Thank you for saying that. It's a great way to end. Um, she's absolutely right. You don't Allah. You don't have to talk to Allah in any specific language. Allah understands everything. Even if you don't open your mouth, Allah understands the dua in your heart. You can talk to Allah in any language, but she's absolutely right. Get in the habit of speaking to Allah. You can't become friends with Allah unless you have a conversation with Allah. That you go to Allah for help. That you go to Allah when you're suffering, when you're in pain, when you don't know what to do, and you make dua. So dua is... I want to I just end with, these, with this advice of the Prophet The Prophet said, dua That dua is the, the, the head of, of worship. It's the brain of worship. And in another hadith, That dua is worship. The essence of worship is in that relationship with Allah subhanahu wa of, of communicating with Him in any language. Okay? We have a few minutes.